and welcome to By Positive. These are your hosts, Mari. And MD. And today is our 20th episode, believe it or not. Um, so we are going to be talking about a, something that is very close to my heart. I think to your heart, too, in a, in a lot of ways. In a lot um, of ways, yes. Um, about bisexuality and LGBTQ plus in Eastern Europe in general. And... What kind of social implications factor into the existence of someone who is non-cis, non-straight? Uh, and, and what kinds of things are happening right now? Whether they're happening? Is it a positive development? So we're going to be covering all those things. We're going to be having a general overview of um, Eastern Europe, meaning the Balkans, post-Soviet um, states, etc. Why don't we start with your own experience? Okay. Uh, well, uh, as I have mentioned before, I'm Ukrainian. Uh, I was born here and I've been, I lived here until I was 17. And in Ukraine, things are happening. Uh, very good things are happening. This year's um, Pride March was 5,000 people, heavily guarded by police, of course. Uh, but, you know, there were virtually no hate crimes recorded. So that's, you know, it's a very low benchmark when you think about it, but just because... There were no hate crimes, um, but things are happening. Um, last year, there was a poll by the ILGA, and in it, 56% of Ukrainians agreed that gay, lesbian, and bisexual people should have the same rights as straight people, um, and 21% disagreed. But you have to take into account that this is a huge difference compared to like even a couple of years ago. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that Ukraine is now trying to veer its course towards something a little more Western, um, more European, if you will, mostly to earn favor with the European Union, but also um, just to to distance themselves from Russia, um, ideologically, economically, and socially. What is also interesting is that uh, in the same poll, 60% agreed that trans people should have the same rights. So that's 60 versus 56 of gay, lesbian, and bisexual, which is kind of rare when you think about yeah. it, and kind of awesome. And part of that, you know, the reason for that is trans people have actually enjoyed not, you know, amazing rights um, in, in independent Ukraine, but they've actually had a lot more freedoms than in a lot of Eastern European countries. Um, things like um, surgery, things like um, psychological help in to certain degrees, um, and things like being allowed to change their names. So it's kind of weirdly progressive in that regard. <laughs> However, of course, there's still a lot of things that are not that good. Things like, you know, no same-sex marriage, obviously, no recognition of same-sex couples. You can't adopt if you're part of a same-sex couple. You can if you're a single parent, but you can't if you're part of a same-sex couple and the rules are even stricter for foreigners. Uh, Sir Elton John actually wanted to adopt a child in Ukraine about 10 years ago, I think, and he wasn't allowed with his partner because same-sex couple. Um, there's still conversion therapy. Uh, it's, it's still going strong. There's a ex-gay movement, people walking around and, you know, trying to tell others that they can also be cured. Transsexuality, unfortunately, is still classified as an illness. And there is no commercial surrogacy for male gay couples. There is for, for um, female gay couples, which is interesting. But one good thing that happened two years ago is that men who have sex with men are now allowed to donate blood, which, again, is quite progressive compared to a lot of other countries. 
um, especially like the US, for example. Yeah, the interdiction has just been, um, and it was banned also in France for a very long time. Yeah. The the blood giving and, and I mean, surrogacy is not legal in France anyways. It's actually very interesting. And I think it's very interesting to see how also this idea that being queer is a Western thing and has been mm. instrumentalized by Russia, but also has happened in Poland, that, that you know, the association between queerness and being Western and so using it to fuel some kind of nationalism yeah. that is not embedded in any real history, but <clears throat> that um, uh, invented fantasy history yeah. of the country. I mean, when you look at the USSR, when you look at the history of homosexuality there, there's, first of all, not a lot, because um, a lot of things were censored, a lot of things were erased from history by the Soviet government in particular. Um, but when the Soviet Union started in 1917, it decriminalized homosexuality, which is, again, kind of amazing when you think about it. And there was a huge movement of studying sexuality, human sexuality in the 20s. So leading Soviet scientists would even go abroad to educate other scientists in Europe on, on sexuality studies. Um, but, but then Stalin happened and uh, sexu uh, homosexuality was um, recriminalized in 1933. And after Stalin's time, it became sort of a taboo topic. You know, people were obviously gay. People are gay everywhere in any point in time, but... It was kind of taboo to discuss and gay and, and bi um, members of society were still expected to marry someone of the opposite sex and to procreate and to be an exemplary Soviet family. So the, the appearance of one was much more important than what was actually going on with people. And so it's, it's kind of weird to think that b besides this brief period, well, not so brief, 20 years of when Stalin was in power, Homosexuality was always around. It was just never talked about. Yeah, I mean, it's something that happens in when you study history. You see that there were the homosexuality always existed. Mm. It's just not talked about, uh, or it was talked about and then it was censored by by historians and modern historians. And it's very um, it's very also interesting to think about how in the Soviet Union. I mean, it was a super secular society. There was no religion, no God. So that was maybe a way of being more objective on the on the topic. And um, going back to the Polish situation, I mean, that an article will give the references. It's in French. But it's very interesting um, how also it you know there's religion was very important to resist uh, the communist regime in in Poland, and so it's part of the identity. And how it's used also to fuel the anti-gay movement and mm. the nationalism today, which is also an anti-EU sentiment. It's all very, um, there, there's a strong association there. And also, so much more difficulties to, to find your identity when you're queer yeah. and Polish or Eastern European. And I mean, it's an, another topic. We might have a guest to talk about that topic specifically <laughs> later on. The, the one thing I wanted to mention about the church um, I don't have that much experience with the Catholic Church in Eastern Europe for obvious reasons. I mean, Ukraine is a very supposedly secular but also very orthodox state. <laughs> However, we see how much influence the Russian Orthodox Church has in Eastern Europe. And not just in Russia, but in, in many other countries, Ukraine included, Georgia included, etc. 
And so the fact that it has become politicized and the fact that it has become sort of a mouthpiece for the for the government's official and unofficial policies is really problematic in a lot of aspects, but especially for, for gay rights. It's just because people don't necessarily go to church every Sunday. People don't necessarily observe Lent or whatever, but they will say that they're Christian. And according to their Christian values, this means that being gay is, is not just anti-Russian. It's also anti-Christian. It's also anti-community. It's also anti-this and that. And so... It's really hard to break through this the smokescreen of of religious and political bullshit. <laughs> but, um, another thing I also wanted to mention: almost in all of Eastern Europe, being gay is, is legal from from the early to nineties to the early two thousands. But there are still two countries where male homosexuality, of course, because female homosexuality isn't real. We all all know that um, male homosexuality is illegal. Um, Turkmenistan, where you get uh, a two-year prison sentence for being male and gay, and Uzbekistan, where it's a three-year prison sentence. These countries are very interesting, not only because of their political and religious uh, situation, but also because of their affiliation to Russia and the fact that they also have to maintain some sort of party line that is, you know, congruent with what's going on in Moscow. Also, those are countries where the national identity is very complex because of the coexistence of Russian people and people who are actually not Russian at all. (laughs) You bring up a good point about, you know, the identity thing. Uh, The fact that, you know, people seem to think, and that's just my perspective, but it it seems to me that people are so afraid of allowing anything remotely queer into their lives because they're afraid it will confuse what their national identity is. It's completely irrational, but that's how it feels. It's like, I can't, I can't have say, a gay son, and be a Ukrainian, you know, military man or something. Like, when you think about it, it's it's just that. It's the fact that people are so confused when they have to think about uh, think outside the box. And, I mean, and we know how harmful this is for queer people when you can't uh, affirm your identity and, and build it in, yeah. a, in, in a positive way because we know it's how... You can get protected against stigma. And I mean, I had this um, this uh, article study, um, qualitative study about Eastern European queer people immigrating to Scotland mm-hmm. and how they, what they were saying about the experience and why they immigrated and why they stayed. It was interesting to see that immigration was a lot about uh, economic issues and that was not always... Uh, things didn't go that well necessarily when they arrived there because there's a whole thing. I'm qualified in my country and I immigrate and then I have to do job with no qualification or whatsoever and I'm not recognized anymore. And that's very, and there's a story of immigration. That's something that uh, is, that's what happened to my grandparents because one of the reasons things are uh, close to my heart in those countries is because my grandparents were born in one in Ukraine and the other one in Poland. So I, I have also, uh, I have a, relation, a strong relation with those countries. <laughs> Um, and, but there, those people also in the study say that they were very relieved being in Scotland where they don't have to hide, where they can be open, where there's a protection, where they can just, you know, hold hands in the street. They can actually talk to, about their partner. And yeah. not all the time, it's not perfect, but still, it's possible. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, you don't have to go as far as Polish people, I can tell you that. <laughs> I can tell you everything, you know, the, th- the things that I've told a lot of people is that moving to Spain and then moving to the Netherlands has been an eye-opening experience just because 
those things are talked about. You don't have to embrace them. You don't have to love the fact that I'm queer, but the fact that you were allowing me to talk about it is already mm-hmm. a huge thing. And again, it's a little like, it's a, it's a bar that's set quite low. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you know what? At this point, we'll take it. And, you know, some people are taking it to the extreme of, um, there's an article on Dazed about um, LGBT refugees in Ukraine. For those who live under a rock, there's a war going on in eastern Ukraine. Russia invaded, a bunch of things happened, almost two million people were displaced because of the conflict. And a lot of those people are LGBT uh, refugees. And uh, most of them ended up moving to central Ukraine, to Kiev, for example, because they were facing much harder uh, prosecution and persecution in eastern Ukraine now. Because the way the, the local separatists are running things is that they're aligning themselves with uh, Moscow. And that means that you're not allowed to, to engage in gay propaganda, whatever that means. Um, basically, you're not allowed to exist. So uh, people have been moving. Just, you know, they don't have to move to Europe. They're just moving a little closer to, to where they may be accepted. And there's still like a difference. But and do you think that things might be really get better in, in Ukraine also because it's in a reaction as a reaction to the Russian policy? I think so. I, I hope so. <laughs> I think I've seen a very positive sort of dynamic since 2014. It's been quite small in the beginning because we had other things to worry about. And that's another thing, you know, you can't really think about things like gay rights when you know, you, you have, you're being bombed, um, roughly speaking. And of course, you know, that's, a, that's an argument that's used everywhere. It's used, it's used in the United States. But I do believe that, you know, the, the whole old Maslow hierarchy of needs, is, it still works. You know, you need food, you need shelter, you need safety before you can think about the higher things in life, the more important things in life, um, morally speaking. So, but yes, you know, things are getting better. Um, There is a lot of um, non-governmental organizations in Ukraine that are taking care of the LGBT community. Things like Amnesty International, there's this um, NGO called Insight in Ukraine that was quite active around the Pride March. And they also organized therapy groups, self-defense classes for trans women. So a lot of really, really important, interesting things and things that I have to say I was not expecting to see in Ukraine. Not at this point in time. You know, I was expecting to see maybe one therapy group and like a general discussion on, you know, sexuality. But these things are very advanced and they're working. People are signing up for them. So there's definitely, there's definitely a a demand for it, which is another thing is that people keep saying that there are no gay people in Ukraine and Russia. Well, guess what? There are. Yeah, no, of course not. And, and of course we have, we've talked like LGBTQ in general Mm. and not just bisexual in particular, because Mm. At, at this stage, it's, it, you can't really make a difference. It's just about yeah. being queer in general. And, and also, you know, I mean, the invisibility of bisexuality is even probably more true in that kind of situation. Yeah, I think because, yeah. It's, it's, it's the black and white kind of thinking that people here are very used to. Because that's what got them through the day. Like in the good old Soviet days, black and white was all they knew. Mm-hmm. And it worked for a while. But now, not only is my sexuality defined by my partner... Um, and so I automatically become categorized into gay or straight, but the, the, the gray areas, um, things like bi, um, things like non-binary, things like asexual, like those, those terms that are not particularly, I guess, popular here, 
those are met with a lot of backlash and like, it's like, oh, you just, you just haven't met the right person or, you know, whatnot. You're just confused. You just like to dress weird. You know, it's, um, it's very hurtful. Um, and I hate saying this, but I think it's a generational thing. Most of the, mostly because, and this is the generation that I studied, the generation of, of my mother. It's a generation that was focused solely on survival and didn't have time to think um, about fineries. And so mm. now, for, for you know, old dog new tricks. Some some people, some older people, are really trying to understand. Mostly, it's people who have queer relatives that are trying to understand this world. But a lot of the times, you can't just you just can't get it through their skulls, and that's unfortunate. But it's also natural. Yeah, and it's also difficult when you're queer because I think in that kind of situation, you know, even if you want to share with your relative, it's not that easy because, you know, it's going to be hard probably. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I definitely know that I can't come out to a lot of my family just because they're, well, number one, oldest balls. And number two, they were raised in a completely different country with completely different values. And those values would, I don't think they would be met with aggression. Um, because I, I do have a good relationship with my family, which not a lot of people do, yeah. but they would be met with a lack of understanding and probably a lot of hurtful comments that I just don't want to hear. So let's move yeah. on. <laughs> so it makes it like, it's too, it, it can be too hard to come out and therefore also the, there won't be less people aware and be able to understand, but it's, it's very natural not to want to come out in that situation because Nobody wants to get hurt. Yeah, and I wish I could present you with statistics on how many people are out in Ukraine, but there is none. That's another thing that's very important to remember is that in Eastern Europe in general, sexuality is mostly studied from the point of view of the other. So how society views a certain sexuality or a certain gender identity. There is no particular study on, for example, the psychology of LGBTQ people in Eastern Europe. There are no insights on how it works because most people are either, well, scientists don't want to study it. People, the respondents, the potential participants of the studies are too afraid to come out and to be, yeah. to be exposed in that way. And, and, it's, and it's why uh, I quoted a study made in Scotland. Yeah. Because, because there's no, you couldn't find anything, I mean, especially for me, um, researching, doing my research in, in English and in French, I couldn't find anything done. Yeah. Um, directly in Eastern European countries. There but... is there is one thing that can be. It's it's in Ukrainian. It's called the Rainbow Book. I love yeah. the name. It's um it's a regular publication that is issued in Ukraine, and it's basically a compilation of a bunch of tiny bits of studies from different NGOs about the state of LGBTQ rights, about hate crimes, about everything. So that's mm -hmm. the thing that exists. But that's that's another issue is that it has to be pieced together. Mm -hmm. There is no central you know, authority, there is no centralized research. You have to grab a bunch of things and then slap them all together to make something coherent. Yeah, there's a, still a long way to go. I mean, there's still a long way to go in Western Europe and Western countries also. Yeah, especially since a lot of Western countries are now facing this nationalistic backlash, a more right-leaning kind of and, society, I guess. And bigotry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it's I mean, there's there's still a lot of fights to fight. Yeah, it's not it's not over yet. And I, but I think it's also important to appreciate when you have the privilege to be able to be at least a little bit visible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
I, I think that the one, um, one of the participants from the Scottish studies said that being in Scotland, I mean, it's not like she, it's a super, uh, I mean, known, accepting uh, city or where she is or anything, but she said like for her, just being able to, it's a woman kissing her girlfriend, his, it's like breathing. In a lot of ways it is. I just got very philosophical. I uh, hope yeah. someone shed a tear. But <laughs> anyway, if we have any Eastern European listeners, I would love to hear your opinions on, on what's going on in your countries because we haven't really touched on countries like um, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, in some ways even Finland because Finland is kind of on the border between uh, Scandinavia and Russia. So there's a lot of interesting things going on there. But in any case, send us a message on Twitter, tag us, um, send us an email. We've been receiving really lovely emails uh, and we're very happy to, to, to read them and to see that we are causing some change. Um, it's, very, <laughs> it's very flattering. And we really hope that we can deliver the content that you guys want and deserve. So follow us on Twitter, um, follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you.